Welcome to your mandatory wellness session. I'm your host, Anu. And I'm your other host, Samir. Samir, how is it going? Interesting. Interesting. I, I was just uh, re-listening to last episode, uh, maybe like a week ago, and this was kind of a similar situation. I expected a kind of a, you know, how is it going? And then you, you, you switched it up because the previous episode you had done that. And today I had no idea. And you kind of mm-hmm. split, you kind of split the difference. So, all right. I got to change up the cadence. Keep me it's such a boring fucking um, question. It's true. Yeah. That's a fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is um, overall, I think going, going pretty, pretty well. Uh, I was just thinking, so we are recording this toward the end of November, November 22nd. I just took my urology in-service exam yesterday. And what a time that was. Yeah. Yeah, the one thing I missed about med school was uh, hours-long multiple-choice tests. You were so. telling me that the other day. You were <laughs> was, saying, you I, know, was... I just wish there was more exams. Yeah, I do. I do often wish that. So that was fun. Yeah, I think you were saying that you wished it was a Scantron, right? That you <laughs> wished that somebody would print out a piece of paper and you'd have to fill in the bubbles. The bubble in. You know, honestly, yeah. I not that I missed that. That would be a weird thing to miss. But there, you know, I feel like there there was some charm. There was some charm at the end of the test. You're like, oh fuck, I. I did something today. I have this, I have yeah. this sheet of, uh, of you know, a random pattern of circles. I'll tell you, Samir, I've never had test anxiety in my life, but I had a lot of Scantron anxiety. Oh, oh my God. I, I will be honest. The thing that I was so scared of all the time was the off by one error. Off by one error. The off by one error. I had nightmares about that, frankly. And yeah. frankly, I haven't thought about them until just now. My goodness. It's, I'm, I'm getting tachycardic even thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. I think once we finally transitioned over to all online examinations, I didn't know the burden had been lifted, <laughs> but there was a lifting. You oh, know? I mean, that's a question. Freedom. I mean, I, I have so many different methods for that. I mean, you know, it's like the every 10 questions check to make sure you're on track, the mm-hmm. circle the answers in the test booklet itself so you can check at the end. Um, but that's, you know, that's all assuming you're going to have a reasonable amount of time. If it's like a tight exam where, you know, you got to do a number of questions pretty fast. I mean, there's not going to be time to check. So, I mean, it, I mean, if you're off, I mean, you're you're screwed. <laughs> a little, little soft flex here, but uh, didn't have a lot of tight exams. I'll be honest, that happened rarely to me as well. But there were several that it did. That, like, I remember the AP, AP Physics exam. That was a tough exam. And frankly, Ooh, yeah. the AP Physics, uh, I believe it was the mechanics section. I, I wish I could know my multiple choice subgrade on that because, frankly... I feel like I killed it, but it was very hard. It was, it was a, that was the one I was like, it was so tight. It was like, I, I mean, I, I think that was like designed for you to not finish. Cause that was fucking insane. Yeah. I, I actually do recall that one being kind of difficult. Some of the AP exams were, were pretty tricky. The only other exam where I was like really tight on time was the first time I took like a GMAT practice exam. I fucked up math so hard because I didn't know that the whole point of it was to use tricks to solve every question. Oh, I like actually tried to do all the math. And then once I, after I did my first practice exam, I looked at the test booklet and they're like, yeah, you can do all the math for real. But if you do, you'll never finish the math section. <laughs> You're like supposed to round everything, just round oh. and get like close to the right answer and then pick it out of the multiple choice. Because the whole point is like it's knowing like how to do math quickly in your head. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. Huh. I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the whole, the central thesis of it is like those interviews where they ask you like, how many soap bottles are in a hotel? Like, yeah. For sure. Okay. Interesting. Actually, speaking of interviews questions, it's that season. It is that season. It is that season. In fact, uh, actually, it's a very interesting transition. I, uh, tomorrow, 
I will be doing my first interviews for like a residency program. I will be I'll be interviewing some candidates. I'm very excited. Yeah, yeah. What are you gonna wear? <laughs> That's not the question to ask at all. I I think that might be a uh, banned question. <laughs> yes, what are you wearing? Okay, so questions I'm gonna ask: uh, Are they planning on having kids? <laughs> <laughs> right. How pregnant are you? No, I yeah. mean it's. It, I mean it's so obviously we as a department as I think all departments do this. There's like a prior. Like, there was like before our grand rounds this week. We went over like interview stuff like just logistics for interviews especially this year with zoom interviews and stuff like questions you like can't ask right those are really important and i think certainly important to mention i think there are some that like you might think are like semi-reasonable but like turns out you can't really because you know whatever but then i to me it just I, and i think i know these questions get asked like i know they do which is why this 100%. conversation has this, the, the reason this conversation has to happen is because these questions have been asked and do get asked but man the, the like the emphasis on like don't ask people if they're pregnant or planning to become pregnant is so funny to me so i'm just like yeah. how could you why all right why would you be like why is that a reasonable thing to ask it's so, so absurd there's a great sketch idea right here where it's a woman actively going into labor during an interview but the interviewer refuses to acknowledge oh, that, that, that is that happening is good. Oh, that is good yeah yeah <laughs> Sorry, can't. <laughs> um, Sorry. Yeah. I've, um, uh, are you okay? Are you well? <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm. I, I'm excited. Um, obviously, as we were discussing, this year is going to be weird. Um, it's via Zoom, basically, and um, which which I think is tough for the applicants. I think as we've discussed before, um, I think it'll obviously be a little strange for us as interviewers too. But I, I mean, yeah, it, it'll be cool. After we're done recording, I'm probably going to you know read through you know the various. Um, uh, applications um, in a little more detail to kind of prepare myself for tomorrow um but yeah that's it's it's exciting for sure kind of weird to be on the other side of it yes yes uh from what i've seen of med students so far i think there's some amount of like cultural shift where they know that they're they're all preparing for these zoom interviews because i've had a few like zoom or video conference calls with med students and they all have these like really intricate or interesting backgrounds oh, really? which i i think has to be on purpose like i don't know that many people with like that full bookshelves or like oh. just like really nice setups behind them oh, wow. of, like, i'm, re- I'm well really gonna look for that now i'm really glad we had this yeah. conversation that's yeah, so just interesting keep, keep an eye out because i i think it's either gonna be like totally blank right like they're in a room in their med school doing this or it's gonna be something that's like purposefully composed yeah, it's interesting. I mean, once again, not I, it wasn't I mean, clearly. I'm not a med student interviewing, so it's not a thing I've thought about. But I, I'm trying to figure out if I would have. I feel like I would have just like, yeah, found a either been in my apartment or I would have found a random room in a meds in the med school. Right, right. But I think there's got to be. I mean, I have not traveled into this sort of uh, a cesspool that is our slash medical school. But I have to imagine. Oh, and you said is... you said you said that with love. I mean, it's a cesspool I love to splash around in. Sure, yeah. <laughs> you know, cesspool, a place you like to be. Of course. <laughs> so, I, 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 it's, I mean, the memes in that Reddit, on the subreddit are incredible, so, top notch. Yeah, 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 yes. <laughs> I consider Reddit entirely a cesspool, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I just, it is my, a yeah. place for shitposting. <laughs> right, my favorite yeah. place to be. Anyway, so you keep, you keep going. Yeah, yeah, uh, I'm sure there's just, like, all threads about people obsessing about this stuff, right? Right, that's, that's a very good point. I think back to the stuff people obsessed about before you know all the threads about like what's how do you write how do i phrase the letter where i tell a program they're my number one and i'm like i think you're overthinking this right (laughs) yes 
you are my number one and make sure you don't accidentally type like my number 12 because you were getting excited <laughs> yeah and that's gotta be thing. very careful that's the entire thing yeah yeah what you want to do is you want to uh write on a piece of paper preferably in crayon uh <laughs> do you like me check yes yeah now. yeah yes box yes box no <laughs> yeah exactly pass it to them well it's also interesting i mean there are also very specific rules about interacting with candidates after the interviews as well which i think is good i i think previously there were it was not as um uh, well demarcated and so it was like oh you could send them something maybe like you know whatever you want and i think they were like none of that so now i think if a, an applicant sends us a thank you letter we like can't even respond to it but if they ask a specific question we can respond only in writing to that question it has to be in writing and it has to be like directed otherwise we cannot at all contact them interesting and like second looks are like not a thing i think if it covid weren't happening they might still be like allowed but they wouldn't be like encouraged sure sure but second looks have largely died out outside of urology i I think if i'm remembering correctly you went on a few second looks back in the day i went on one because it was a program near our med school and i mean Ah, that was the only reason i mean i liked the program but it was like easy to do and i was like i mean i might as well learn more about it i mean it's like you know very close to me but i didn't like do any active travel to do so yeah, yeah. I think that that's actually, it brings to light a very dangerous attitude that it, when it comes to interviewing, which I'm kind of interested to see how it plays out this year, which is the I might as well, right? Mm. That, that phrase. There's a lot of things that interviewees do because they, you know, they think that they, they should do it, right? Sure. Like, the, and now there's no more like hard boundaries. So my, my first thought is just like socials, right? I, I have not I don't know if com- coming to the like pre-interview dinner is useful, but now the pre-interview dinner is always going to be online. So it's like very difficult for you to say like, oh, I can't make it right. to this thing sure. that is online. I guess my question though is, so personally, whenever I was able to, like I wasn't traveling to another interview or like my flight wasn't getting in at like 10 p.m., I would go to the interview social. So I think I went to the great majority of them. Was it any different for you for radiology? I feel like that was the case for most applicants too. Yeah, I went to a lot of them. As the interview season went on, I found that people started skipping them more and more. Mm. I, and I went to a lot of them, but how useful were they? This is what I'll say. For the places that ended up being a bit lower on my list, I don't think they necessarily made a difference. But I think amongst my top grouping... I think they were somewhat important in that they were, these programs were in some ways very hard to distinguish otherwise. And I liked them all for, you know, various different reasons. And then some of it did come down to like my overall feel of the residents and the program. So not that no one, nothing went from number 10 to number one, but maybe something went from like number four to number two. Yeah. Yeah. Small nudges. Yeah. Small nudges amongst a top grouping already or, or or like or like within within a tier is what i should say right so nothing would jump tiers so like one through six would have been whatever they were but then like maybe i shuffled them around based on that but nothing was going to jump from like 10 to 4 and you're saying you got more than six interviews or? uh <laughs> i mean I, I like to play my cards close to my chest but maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe my understanding was you interviewed at two programs yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh my current program and this guy at the gas station those are the two yeah <laughs> So it worked out well. Although I got to say, 
I gotta say, the University of Gas Station is actually doing amazing things in the field of urology. So, like, maybe I missed that. Who can say? Yeah, they're very far ahead on robotic surgery. <laughs> they are. Yeah, yeah, you'd be, yeah, you'd be surprised. Yeah. Their uh, their ERAS protocol is they give you the gas station sushi and then you evacuate all your bells, which is nice. <laughs> yeah, it's weird that that's part of the interview, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's more. Oh, so, uh, see, this is this is this is a classic. I like forgot ERAS was like the application thing. I'm using ERAS to mean enhanced recovery after surgery. Which is like okay. that protocol with like the whole bowel prep and like, you know, like start walking sure. on day one and all that stuff. Uh, that's my fault. Yeah, I, that's, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's, a, it's, it's funny though, because I remember when I first heard that acronym in like freshman year, I was like, haha, like, oh, no, fresh, freshman year, okay. <laughs> I remember when I, <laughs> freshman year. <laughs> unbelievable. Uh, I remember when I first heard that acronym in intern year, I uh, was like, oh, that's funny. Like it's named the same way as like the residency application program. And I like completely forgot that <laughs> somehow already. <laughs> Um, which is interesting. What was I saying before, though? Oh, yeah. So this year, yeah, this year we're doing all these virtual ones. And I do wonder how that'll be. I mean, I think it's a useful time to ask certain questions, like questions that are like I know the classic question that you don't want to ask to faculty because it kind of makes you seem like a little lazy, which is like, what's the call schedule like? Which is a very reasonable and important question to ask. But I feel like, you, you know, you still want to ask the faculty about it. That's like a classic question or like just things about like, how is living in blank, you know? But I don't know. It, it I think it'll be much more of a question answer, right? Like it can't be a natural, just like, oh, let's just like shoot the shit about stuff and like see if you're normal. Like it's going to fall into a question answer vibe, which is fine. But I think it's just, it's going to be different. Yes. Yes. That is the thing that I'm, I'm concerned about is there's less of a ability to assess if somebody is normal. However, I think we've talked about this before. The data on interviews suggests that they don't actually assess that, right. really. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think we specifically have discussed it, which is like, the, I, and there's a good New York Times article about it. Maybe I can, I, I can find it again and link it in the show notes. But talking about how interviews in general, like not just for medicine, but interviews in like most fields, people tend to really overvalue how good interviews are at like picking out qualities you want in an applicant. Like they're actually not that good because um, it, it's just hard to get a sense of, you know, a person in like when you talk to them for like 20 minutes or whatever and it's a really variable based on the day and everything like that and is it reasonable to judge somebody's normalcy on their ability to interact with you for like an hour in like a setting of a bunch of other applicants and like people who are like sort of they're going to be there maybe their colleagues but also kind of like like an interviewer sort of at the same time, right, it's, right. it's very, it's very weird. I, I don't. Um, can you judge normalcy in an abnormal situation? Yeah, like I, I don't. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you can to an extent, right? It's like this. Uh, you can tell. I think someone's like really, like genuinely abnormal. Like, what, what is wrong with you, kind of thing. But I don't think you can make too much of people who are just falling in the middle of like, oh, they were, they were kind of quiet, like a little awkward. But like, I don't know. The whole situation's kind of awkward. That's not really fair. I mean, if the field of radiology discriminated against people who were quiet and awkward, we'd be Extinct. having a really hard time. Yeah. <laughs> right there'd be like a selective breeding program to like bring you guys back into the wild <laughs> yeah exactly it's like well that's kind of we're we're at that post stage where it's like yeah we did this selective breeding program but it was a, bo- it was now, a, it like, was a genetic yeah. bottleneck unfortunately yeah so yeah now now quiet and awkwardness is like kind of endemic in the population right, right. and also a lot of hip dysplasia <laughs> and like polydactyly Founder, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was a problem. Classic. But it's very nice for those radiology mouses that have like, uh, you know, like sure. fifteen bugs, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's yeah. really convenient. It's very convenient. Yes, it's a good. Um, but yeah, so that'll be interesting. I'm excited. I, I, I'm excited. Um, I, uh, I don't exactly know. 
I think we do. We may have. A, I think we have a pre-interview social today. I think. Uh, I think it's maybe 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 in a couple hours. I just realized that actually. <laughs> uh, Samir, we are in that pre-interview social right now. This is our first live show. Uh, okay, sorry. Back to the actual thing. But yeah, so that's that's kind of what I've been up to um, both this weekend and coming up. How about you? Anything? Anything of note? No, no. I think we talked about the fact that I was going on vacation during our last episode, and the gaps between these episodes are such that I just got back from that vacation. <laughs> Perfect. Wow. Incredible. Cool. Actually, when is this episode going to come out? Like, maybe close to Christmas. So, I guess Merry yeah, Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was the tis the season joke that I was making earlier. Is that, oh. I, you know, oh, tis the season. I'm talking about interview season, not... The fact that this is, yes, likely pretty close to yeah, Christmas. Yeah, pretty, pretty close. And, and Hanukkah to, you know. Yeah. This year, uh, I've I've unofficially documented that these are my these are the holidays this year because I am on call on both Christmas Day and New Year's Day. I like that call. I mean, I, I don't like the reality, but holiday is a nice turn of phrase. Yeah, yeah. I'm told that the radiology department is relatively quiet on those days, but mm. we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, we'll see for sure. Yeah, I, when yeah. I when I've been on call for that, and like for us, you know, we have home calls, so you'll be on call for like you know whatever, like it's like Thanksgiving, like for like five days, which kind of sucks. But normally, like it's it sucks because you're on for five days, which is very mentally exhausting. But I feel like the density, like the consult slash call density, is less than it would be on a normal weekend. Right. Like the five days in a row is not great, but each day is like not as bad. It's like a Saturday in general. Yes, yes. So, yeah, I'm on the day after Thanksgiving, but I'm thinking about the pathology that Thanksgiving provokes. And I feel like, you know, heart attack strokes. Uh, so maybe... I guess I guess I'm ready to look for free air, like duodenal perfs or something. <laughs> you think, yeah, you think somebody's going to eat to the point of perfect. Maybe. I, uh, I guess so. I, I, in my intern year, I was with um, with some friends and uh, uh, they were gen surge residents. And one of them was on home call and got called in. By the intern who was there because somebody came in with a duodenal perf, which is why I specifically mentioned it. <laughs> Damn. Okay. Well, fuck. I guess I'll keep an eye out. I'll keep yeah. an eye out. Yes. I will say that patient did live. So great news. Probably didn't look at turkey the same way. <laughs> yeah. Or you would presume. <laughs> yeah. Turns out you can't eat the wishbone. Is the <laughs> but that was the that was the problem. That was the problem. Yeah. What he what he had thought was that if he ate the wishbone, he'd get all the wishes. Yeah. People don't realize this. The wishes are contained in between. It's like it's like in the marrow, right? So yeah. when you break it, the wishes are released. Right, right, right. You know? It's kind of like a genie, a very a localized sort of organic genie, yes. as opposed to your synthetic genie. It's the classic genie in a lamp, a man-made lamp, right? Right. That was emulating. Oh, the I see. Genie. Oh, wow. Yeah. See, yeah, you don't yeah. realize that because the synthetic is so much more popular. Sure. Yeah. I mean, because it's it's. I say synthetic, but people think of it as the normal one because it's historical, right? It's right, We're of course, about right, right, Arabia, right, you know, right. Yeah, no, 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 that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense, right? I mean, it's like the idea. I mean, people like used to like, like, like the idea of like weaving clothes is a very old concept, but that is intrinsically pretty unnatural to like make clothes out of like fibers. Right, right, and that's yeah. I think it's also very unnatural, which is why I'm in the nude right now. Oh, well, always, <laughs> always, yeah. I say, you know, if I'm at home. It's not my fault. You're video conferencing it. That's true. That, that, <laughs> that, that's, on home. that's on me. That's on me for sure. That's on me. Yeah. Um, right. Like, like if, if you're walking around nude in your house and someone like sees you, like you can't get like indecent exposure for that. Like that's on them. Like you're in your house. They were looking. Yeah. Right. Now, do I live next to an elementary school? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> do I God. like an open concept living room? Yes. 
Do I think the curtain industry is a sham? Yeah, of course. <laughs> all true things. For sure, all true things. Right. So, but listen, that's on, that's on them. That's on them. That's on them. That's yeah. on them. So, it's true. Oh, anyway. Uh, well, that's okay. Well, so the call date, not great. That's not, 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 not awesome. I, I guess I would ask if in general you have any other plans, but obviously you don't um, because it's like. Uh, no, no, I'm not. Uh, I, so I've been characterized as a Grinch before, but I actually really like Christmas. Hmm. It should be one of my favorite holidays because I like baking so much. And oh, Christmas sure. is yeah, a very yeah. baking centric time of year. But for whatever reason, I don't have as much of an affinity for Christmas as other people do. Certainly don't have the religious ties to Christmas, right. but that's neither here nor there. It just don't don't feel very much about yeah. old Christmas. And then New Year's is okay. I'm uh, not a New Year's resolution person. I'm, I'm more of the type, like, it's like, if you want to do something, maybe you should start you should just doing do it. it. Just do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you should do it. Um, or if you, and if you don't want to do it, then don't. You know, don't pretend that you're doing a thing. What I would contend is all resolutions really can be considered New Year's resolutions depending on where you set the marker for the new year. Sure, and that's yeah. arbitrary. So, like, go out. If you want to start on, like, March, you know, 19th and say, you know, here's my New Year's resolution. Yeah, that's very reasonable. If, you're, if your year starts on March 19th, more power to you. It's the first year of the rest of my life. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. A, a year <laughs> is just a unit of time. It's just, I mean, yeah. it's very, you can start it whenever you want. So. Right. Yeah, that's fair. So, well, Samir, I'm glad we talked about calendars. Yeah, yeah. We well, talked about well, scantrons <laughs> and calendars. To open, to open talk about scantrons, flexed about AP exams for like oh, like longer than zero seconds, and uh, <laughs> which is the amount of time it warranted. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, and then it was good. <laughs> yeah. What about you? What, what's what's your holiday looking like? Yeah. So I this is well, obviously when this comes when this comes out, it'll be after. I am planning to go home for Thanksgiving. I've been trying to mm. minimize my general like, exposure to people, and I will be getting tested, co-tested, um, coming up, and then I will be like wearing an N95 plus like additional like protection on the flight home. And hopefully that's fine. I obviously put this flight earlier with rising numbers. I'm getting a little bit more nervous about it. Um, I think I mean, I'm going to, you know, I'm still planning to do it. I think it'll be okay. And once again, it'll be literally me, my parents, and my sister. So it's like four of us. We're not having like a big celebration, um, but still makes me a little nervous. And then after that, I don't know. I mean, I have some plans for the holidays, same kind of thing, going home to visit my parents. But I, I think after Thanksgiving, I think numbers are going to look a lot worse for the country. That's from a COVID mm-hmm. standpoint. I think they're already going very much in the wrong direction. I think Thanksgiving is going to just accelerate that. So I don't know. I don't know what my what my holiday plans are going to look like. I am working New Year's, so that's out of the question. But I I, I don't know how the rest of the year is going to look. You know, as much as I would love to talk about sort of the existential dread that is reality nowadays, uh, let's talk about something light. Yeah, shall let's, we? I, I prefer to deny the reality around me. Exactly. Frankly, I'd like to repress it. <laughs> Deep down in there, <laughs> the ball. You know? And then eventually, eventually, you realize that it not not to repress it. Like you know, it's there, but you have to put it kind of to the side so you can continue with your life and sort of do the tasks and accomplish the goals you want to. Um, huh. You have to suppress it. Well, that's pretty mature of you. Thank Sabir. you. I, I thought yeah. so. Whereas me, I'm more immature, and I just don't want to think about it at all. And if somebody <laughs> asks me about it, I say no. <laughs> I, I shan't run away. I shan't do it. Yeah, no, exactly. Are we obvious enough? Do you think? Do you think I, they've I, gotten I, hard, it? hard to know? <laughs> oh wait! Oh my god! I didn't even. Re- oh my god! That's our topic for this. Wow! Oh wow! That was cr- oh that was uh, really that was remarkable. So natural. 
so natural. So natural. Uh, yeah, I think what people are thinking right now is these two natural showmen. The the movie the the greatest showman um, is based on our podcast. Yeah, I thought Hugh Jackman was a weird choice to play <laughs> severe. No, it's a classic uh, whitewashing situation. I mean, it's right, right. I mean, I mean, well, yeah. Did, did he do a fantastic job? Yes. Was it the most appropriate casting? I. Uh, and I was incredibly flattered that they cast Zendaya as me. So I mean, like, <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, that was that was pitch perfect casting for sure. That's <laughs> pretty great. Yeah, that's what I I said. I came to the table. You know, I I was thinking. You know, personally, I was like, she would tell Ajiyafor, right? Get me, get it, get him in the room. And they were like, what about Zendaya? And I was like, perfect. perfect. They they knew it. Yeah, they knew. They knew. You know, when when you know, yeah. you know, as they say. So this week, it's weird that they added all that stuff about the circus. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty weird. <laughs> Stepping on your transition. Yeah, this yeah. week, we're talking about uh, about the spectrum of denial, repression and suppression. Right. Uh, three coping mechanisms for the price of one. You know, this coping mechanism bit has been going on for several months now. It's true. And now we need to get done with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, as possible. You know, I mean, as obviously kind of our baseline, right? So denial is obvious. It's just you kind of are, you know, ignoring uh, the reality of the situation, pretending that it is not currently happening. Uh, repression is this thing that is happening and you uh, basically push it down. I think that has happened. You push it away and you don't acknowledge it really at all. So it has to the point where it's actually like an unconscious repression. And then there's suppression where, at least my understanding is, you acknowledge that it's there and you acknowledge that it was hard or tough or what have you. And you put it away, you sort of tuck it um, into a corner of your mind so that you can focus on your day to day, focus on moving forward. And so at some point you will kind of engage with it more fully, but you understand sort of the, you know, the division of labor within your mind, if you will. You understand how to kind of set it aside as you need to. Um, and that is, as you mentioned, the sort of the spectrum from sort of the most immature, uh, which is to ignore the reality entirely, to the most mature, which is, you know, it's there, but you know that at this time you can't put it away. If you don't. Yes. So, Samir, I guess the question I'd like to ask you is, what are you in denial about? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, I, it, it's a hard thing to answer, right? Because I feel like if I know I'm in denial about it, am I in denial? It's like, like philosophically, can you do that? Is that, is that a thing you can say? Well, I've I've said this before, but insight does not equal change, right? That's true. You can have a lot of insight into your own pathology, but not necessarily be able to address it. So you could be open about the fact that you're in denial about something, but still be in denial about it, I think. Yeah, I, I'm not sure there's anything I'm like actively in denial about as much as I like acknowledge it's a problem and I'm just like semi-refusing to deal with it. So more more on the repression. Repression <laughs> yeah, is your flavor. Yeah, for sure. For yeah. sure that. What are you repressing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think this is like a general issue for me, which is that my overall ability to have consistent like focus and kind of accomplish the things I want to do. Like I know it is something I have issues with. Uh, I mentioned it even when I was beginning my research block that like I often am someone who really needs sort of a, an external schedule to stick with things. And I definitely am seeing that. Um, to an extent and so I I, I kind of knew it I, I didn't really address it necessarily I guess I tried to a little bit but didn't exactly and I certainly am kind of seeing that result um, it's going okay I mean I'm not like it's not like ruining my life but it's not optimal 
I wonder if that that statement, it's not ruining my life, is like part of the Yeah, that's a good point. Repression. Mm-hmm. Is it? I I I'm not I I am gonna psychoanalyze you, whatever. We're gonna do it to me too, but like, No, it's a good that's actually that's actually very good insight. I, I actually think it's like a it's next level repression. It's kind of it's the way in which you can have insight into the fact that you're repressing something, but not actually address the thing. Mm. Is to instead say like, oh, it's maybe it's not that bad, maybe I'm not dealing yeah. I'm just not dealing with it right now. Mm. Whatever, it's fine, right? It's like you trick yourself into thinking thinking that the thing that you're repressing is actually just a thing you're suppressing it's like oh well you know i i you know i've always had issues with focus or that's my problem no but it's not that bad right but maybe it maybe it is that bad so right have you considered <laughs> considered it's not bad so i, I, I there's a total problem with this conversation no for sure yeah, yeah, I, you're, you're a very good psychiatrist we can both agree <laughs> um no i so i i think what it is for me right um is that what I'm able to point to is that I don't think I have a good metric for what a general population baseline is for like people more broadly, right? Both in the general population and within let's say medicine. And then let's say even more specifically within urology, right? Because it's a classic issue where what you see are other people's results and you don't necessarily see how the sausage is made. No pun intended. Urology. So sorry, uh, wait, uh, Explain that to me. How does that relate to urology? Ah, uh, yeah. Um, uh, urologist in general, like from like a like a, like a culinary standpoint, um, sausage is like an important delicacy for the field. Oh, yeah. okay. Well, because urology is Germanic in origin, right? That's yeah, that's yeah. yeah. Brad, Bradfest. Exactly. So. The, the originally, the... yeah. Sorry, that just delighted me for yeah, some yeah, reason. Anyways, continue. That's fine. Um, so, I, so I, I think that is kind of an important thing, right? So that I think that baseline is really hard to ascertain because you're seeing everyone else's results. And so you're like, oh, wow, that person is super on top of everything. Look at them. They're like publishing these papers. They're like studying. They seem like they're very like skilled in the OR or, or what have you. And you look at that, but you don't actually see their day-to-day, their own internal struggle, like, you know, how they are going about living their life. And so if you compare it to yourself, when you're like, you wake up and you're like, oh God, today I just can't, like today's gonna be a hard day to like get stuff done. It makes you feel like, oh, well, I'm really not measuring up. Or to some sort of imagined idea of what you should be like, oh, I should be doing all these things because this is what I need to do in order to accomplish my goals. And so it is a little hard for me to say what an appropriate baseline is, right? Because I, in general, I think I've been able to accomplish a lot of the goals I've set for myself historically. Now, whether that's being good at like compensating for for not sort of reaching the the baseline I want to, or it's just that maybe I'm setting kind of a, a, a like an like an implausibly high standard for myself, I hard to hard to differentiate. Hmm. Hmm. Right, and that it brings up an interesting concept that suppression and repression are much more closely related than sort of denial is on this spectrum, right? And I think suppression can very easily slip into repression, right? Because it starts with just putting something away to parse it later, but then when later becomes a shifting time point, it starts to, to transition into repression, right? And, and it's easy to shift that time point once you start sort of meditating on the, the enormity of an issue, right? It's like what you're talking about here is like, well, these are all the things I need to do to reach my own bar, right? The bar that I've set. 
and that seems like a lot of stuff. Maybe I'll deal with that later. Right. And then, it, you know, the time point keeps shifting. I, I think the line there is like the, the level of, of analysis, right? Because you have to say like, well, is that because my expectations of myself are unrealistic or have my expectations of for myself been unrealistic in the past? Like you're analyzing the truth of the statement, like I need to work harder. Is that actually true? true. Right. Or, or how true is it? I mean, I mean, How true I, I feel like it's true, but like, is it, is it, uh, is it so true that it's like a, a problem or is it just like baseline? Like, I'm like, ah, I should be doing more. Right, right. Or, or as, as so often is the case that it, it's somewhere in between, right? right? Like that your expectations might be unrealistic, but also yeah. maybe you could work harder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, so I, I think that's like my big thing. And it's been something I've dealt with for a while. I don't think that is necessarily an unusual thing to deal with for I think generally like high achieving people. I know several other medical students, now residents who deal with that, who have dealt with that. So I don't think it's that unusual, but I think it, for every person it is of course different. I, and I do think it's accentuated by the fact that we are surrounded by other really high achieving people doing like great things. And so it, by comparison, I think it makes you feel like I'm lucky. Right. So what are the tools by which you, I guess in this case, repress something? Like what, yeah. what helps you shift your attention away from something that's bothering you? So I think normally when I am on a, so right now, as I mentioned, I'm on a research rotation, right? So it's a little different. I will say in a normal rest of residency situation, I think the biggest thing is just my day to day, right? There are so many things that I need to do on a day to day basis that it is relatively easy to push these long term concerns or thoughts away because my day-to-day is so urgent and you know there there is so much immediacy with all these actions right like i have to prepare for tomorrow's cases i have to look through all these um patients numbers at the end of the day and make sure we didn't like miss anything i have to finish dictating an op note from yesterday oh no i'm giving grand rounds in two weeks i should probably start on that you know there are always these things i'm gonna be on call this weekend right so there are always these things that um i think make that harder and especially when you're working long hours right so that i think it's easy to push off this oh i need to work harder or do more about these long-term goals when your short term is taking up so much of your life i think that's a little less the case on research right because i just have more free time or more you know non um, non-assigned time and so it is a little harder to be like oh well i have all these other things it's like well i mean i had some of them for example i was studying for the in service right so it's easier for me to be like well i wasn't I wasn't focusing as much as my research recently because the last couple of weeks I've been trying to study for the in-service coming up. Valid, I think, but like also to an extent, a bit of an excuse. I could have been doing a better job of doing both things, but it was a real thing I was doing. And so it allowed me to kind of say, well, the other thing is taking a back seat for now. Right. And so I think that's probably the biggest thing uh, in like the general day-to-day of residency. I think it's very interesting that your thing that keeps you from working harder is the fact that you're working hard already okay, yeah. that, 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 that makes that sound like oh, my greatest weakness is that i care too much you know it's like that's not what I'm, uh, that's not what i'm trying to go for i guess in the sense of like when if you have a baseline of like this is a standard of who i am as a person of like i'm not going to just like blow off like work that's gonna like be important for like a patient like you know like i'm not gonna just like oh i'm not gonna do this thing and like a patient will get hurt by it that would be crazy and so if that's like your baseline of doing that which is just i think that's like basic humanity to an extent assuming you're not like horribly depressed then it is somewhat easier to do that work right because you can't just like not do it sometimes those things are a little easier because they have such strict kind of 
moral imperatives. Right, right. And it provides the immediacy that your mind, that that, that immediacy provides the activation energy yes. that your mind needs. So that, that this is going to be important tomorrow. Yeah. Therefore, I have to take care of yeah, it. Yeah, that's right. I, I know, this is a classic example of why I'm like historically been able to like cram for tests. Like fear and anxiety, they do the job. <laughs> yeah. Cortisol, very effective hormone. <laughs> yeah. Um, Until you have a heart attack. Bad for like, yeah, yeah, bad for like your cells, I think. But, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So and like neural pathways, but yeah. So I I think that I mean to your point, obviously, I think you can re-say that as like, oh well, yeah, I prevent. I like I I don't think about working hard because I'm sick of working hard. But I but I think yeah, I think to your point, it is very different, right? Because fundamentally, I think the things that give you sort of long-term satisfaction with like what you've accomplished and what you've done is your ability to set for yourself long-term goals and achieve them. And that applies no matter what your field is, like for life in general. And that doesn't even have to be work-related, right? Like your long-term goal could be like raising a family and like, you know, being proud of like your children's achievements. Like that's a very valid and difficult long-term goal to achieve. And so you might, you might be like a stay-at-home parent. And if that is like your main goal and you achieve that with flying colors, that's like an incredible legacy to have. Right. And so, but if your day-to-day is trying to, oh, like I'm trying to just like keep myself afloat. And then you don't feel like you've put enough into those long-term goals. You're not going to feel like great about yourself, even if you're like actually sustaining things very well to like an outside observer. Right, right. It's like you're just functioning. Yeah. You're just keeping your head above. You're not like thriving, right? It's like the surviving versus thriving. What is wellness if not the idea that we should be doing more than surviving, we should be thriving, right? Like that is fundamentally, right, what it is, right? Mm -hmm. Because obviously, you know, there's an issue with people literally surviving residency, right? Like the, the resident like suicide rate. Sure. But the that is at the end of the day, although horrible and like should never happen, is fundamentally a still a very small fraction of the people in residency, right? But it's not it's not it's not only those people who are trying to save, it's everybody else who's dealing with the depression, the anxiety, the burnout that residency often causes. So it's not just those that small fraction. They are the uh the canary in the coal mine, if you will. But right, right. To, to sort of restate that premise is that if you make your bar survival, you've already aimed too low. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, perfect. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes. Exactly. If that's your failure state, no, you failed long before that person felt that, you know, suicide was the only option, right? The, there was a hundred failures before that yeah, point in time. Precisely, right? So I think to restate it, it's sort of like, yeah, so thriving, it, like wellness in and of itself means that you reach a state of thriving. Right. And so I think that is often where this comes into play. That ability to deny that, the ability to repress that, I think, is often in play. Um, and so I guess for you personally, where, where have you seen that? All right. And this is, this is a stating of a deep fundamental flaw of mine. I exist in a constant state of trying to explain why I feel bad and attributing that to various things in my life. And then when that thing is gone, realizing that that never was the reason why I felt bad in the first place. Uh, case in point, uh, for, for residency, I moved across the country and there was a period in time where I spent a lot of time saying, like, I just need to get out of this place. I need to move away. And then I moved away and I was like, turns out moving away didn't fix anything. I think it's it's a very long journey towards me realizing that I just have to take care of sort of my internal 
barometer of life yeah. and that it's not actually a lot of external stuff that's doing it. it you know recently i i've really addressed something that's been holding me back a lot and this is not something that we've talked about on the podcast yet but i recently lost uh 40 pounds because my my own physicality has been a a problem in my life uh and that is an issue that i'm this is this is my my very classic sort of insight not equaling change thing right. is that I know a lot about nutrition and health and like exercise. I I've done the research, I've read about it, and I had gained a lot of weight. This particularly since the quarantine started, but in general, I gained a lot of weight over the course of I'd say the last two years of medical school and beginning of residency. And that was an issue that I was uh, repressing a lot of. I, I Luckily, I was never in denial about it. Denial around weight loss is a very real thing. Uh, there are not insignificant number of people out there who choose to remain in denial about sort of the health consequences of being obese. Uh, that is not a problem that I have. I fully acknowledge the problems with being obese, but I spent... A lot of times sort of putting that off. And during the day-to-day stresses of residency, it's very easy to sort of repress that. Not not so much in that, like, I'm not thinking about it. Like, you know, you think about it when you look at yourself in the mirror. You think about it when something doesn't fit. But thinking that, like, this is too stressful for me to, to deal with right yeah. now. Like, residency is already so hard. I'm not going to add this thing on top of that, right? So that is very classically something that I've repressed. And uh, oddly enough, I chose to address it in sort of the worst possible time on paper, which is that I did it during an IR rotation. I just was like, I need to take care of myself and and and, uh, uh, and worked pretty hard to, to lose that weight. And it's funny because we've been recording this series while I've been doing this, but it's like food is one of my coping mechanisms. Uh, the, the phrase I use somewhat comically, but honestly, it's kind of a bleak joke is that I, I am an endogenous opioid abuser. Like oh, I nice. would eat yeah. until the point that I was like kind of obtunded. And then you can use that as an excuse for anything, right? It's like, well, I can't, can't work out. I'm so tired now because I hammered 50 fucking McNuggets down my throat garbage hole that is my face <laughs> or i can't study i'm super as the, tired as the resident psychiatrist here i gotta say um we 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 prefer our clients to avoid the term garbage hole which is my face but your call <laughs> <laughs> it's weird that that's in the handbook it is it's in the dsm5 so <laughs> yeah, uh, self, self-deprecation also one of my coping mechanisms but Another one of our coping mechanisms, if I can make a joke about it, I have to, because otherwise I'm just saying something that I sincerely feel and struggle with, right? That's very hard. So it was weird because food was the way that I use, it was a tool that I also used to repress other things. So I, I, similarly to you, I also often feel like I'm not working hard enough on stuff. Uh, that I'm not studying and that, you know, particularly for radiology, there's there's a lot of payoff to just very consistently studying. It is almost mandatory. Uh, and I always feel as though I'm not doing that enough. 
and the food played into that cycle you know uh, while you're at work you're already thinking about what you're going to eat then you get home you eat that thing you're so tired you go to sleep you say oh, i'll wake up early you don't wake up early you're tired the next day because you ate so much and you get right back into the cycle the day after all of it adding together to sort of push every issue you have off to the side and and put you in a very bad place and so so yeah repression is a very real part of my life it's funny because i you know we've talked about a lot of immature coping mechanisms and i have not i i have i'm a relatively like i have a lot of insight you know i i think about the way that i think about things and this is this is the area in which i have a lot of insight but that was still my immature coping mechanism yeah yeah no it's uh and so i i guess the thought i have right so at this point You've done a good job. You've like you've lost a lot of weight, um, and I think you're. I've, I've said this to you off air. It's like very impressive. It's like it's very hard to do. And in hindsight, you look at that and you say, okay, well, sure, he put this thing aside, but then he did eventually address it. And maybe it's just this is like a discussion of like a technicality at this point. I'm curious how hindsight affects how you characterize something as repression or suppression. That's a very interesting question. Good question, Samir. Thank Good you. job. Thank you. <laughs> I I think that's actually that gets to the crux of a, a of a bit that I've come out of this uh, sort of affair with, which is there are a lot of clothes that I moved with me to my residency that did not fit when I moved, and up until very recently, up until I lost this weight, if I told you that, that is a very sad thing. Look at this guy who has gained so much weight and is still holding on to these clothes, thinking that he's going to lose. Like, he's he's so out of the range of being able to wear these clothes and he's been holding on to them for years now. Right. And now that I've lost the weight, suddenly it's like, wow, he knew it. He he always held out hope that he was going to do <laughs> right, that. Right. You know? no, it's a cl- right. I mean, this also this applies to like sports and stuff, right? People, even like commentators will like joke about it because they realize it's a bias, which is just like the the coach goes for kind of like a bold play that is like really high risk, high reward. And when they don't get it, they're an idiot. And when they, when they do get it, they're a genius. And there's like, no, right. I mean, it's really black or white. Uh, and that totally is the case. Right? I mean, it's, it's, it's such a hindsight bias, but I, I, I do think that it's tricky, right? Because it's like, how long of a, how long of a leash do you have? Right. Right. Like, right. Is, is it considered suppression if this took 10 years before you addressed it? I don't know. Right. I, I would err on the side of no. But this might be a little bit of how I see myself and that I do tend to be hypercritical of myself, which is to say, no, this is a a bout of repression that you have gotten over. Hmm. Suppression, honestly, suppression biases towards the immediacy that you were talking about earlier, which is that like it's suppression if an attending yells at you and instead of letting that ruin your whole workday, you work through the day, you get to the end of the day and you talk it out with a friend. That's suppression, you know, it's like suppression might be, oh, you've realized you've gained 10 pounds, but you're working on a busy project at work. So you know what? You're going to let it be. And then afterwards, you're going to get a gym membership and work it out. Right. That's like the suppression to, to relate it to the story. That right. We're right. Like about there's, right now. there's there's sort of a concrete end point. Like you, like you have a plan. Right. I mean, right. Not, maybe not that maybe not that specifically like, oh, in like three weeks, I'll do it. But like fundamentally, there is some sort of plan in place. Right, right. And this was not me waiting for the optimal time. In fact, perfect case example, I picked possibly the least optimal time to do it, you know, and 
I think it, it was not a thing where it's like, oh, I have, okay, I've put this off and now's the time that I'm going to address it. It was much more like I have been putting off this off and if I don't address it, I will continue to not address it, right? It was, it was, there was much more confrontation there. I think you could, in hindsight, rewrite that story. And, and I, you know, that is, that is the human experience. We write our own narratives and we, we fit ourselves into story structures. If, if we get a little off the beaten path to discuss narratives that I find compelling, I do not find it compelling to say, no, I was always going to do the right thing. And then I did the right thing. That's not a good story to me. The story that I tell even about myself, even though it paints me as the fool for part of this story, is to say, no, I was on the wrong path. And I, I pulled myself out of that and, and I didn't do it alone. You know, uh, there was, the, the, there's a lot to it and people that I talked to and all this stuff, there's, there's much more to it than just right. like, I, you know, one day I decided to lose weight, sure. but that story structure to me is a much more compelling story structure. And it, it is just closer to the truth. I think uh, more often than not, I think suppression is probably less common than, than we think it is. Yeah. I think, that's, I think that's true. I mean, I will say, I think there have been several times on this podcast when we've been talking about different topics and we're discussing like various experiences that we've had. And I've realized, oh, I repressed this thing because I had not really thought about it until now. And it actually turns out it was like mildly traumatic. <laughs> um, that has happened more than once. So assuming that I haven't somehow managed to get a perfect sample in which I've gotten all the things out, I've found them all. You would presume there are some icebergs like lying in the way, you know? Right, right. There's some little hidden, hidden traumas. Yeah, there. right. So I, I, I think that even as like my own self, like sampling, I, I have a sense that probably are some things I'm missing. And so I guess to take this more broad, right? So we've discussed sort of us as individuals and how we have encountered this more broadly in a residency context from an institutional standpoint. It seems obvious, at least to me, that. People in general are going to deal with this, and I think residents in particular will deal with it because of the extraordinary change that we're going through, the kind of stresses we're under, and the various traumas that we're sort of encountering for the first time. What can be done, if anything, more broadly, that could help that? Help to decrease the amount of denial or oppression and move things more toward an environment um, in which things can be sort of discussed in the open, in, in, in the light of day? That's a very good question. You know, I think there's there's something to be said. First of all, denial is a product of its environment, right? Like, you will really only get to the state of denial if you feel as though there is simply no safe way for you to address something, yeah. right? Uh, and, and safe can mean a lot of things, obviously. There's sort of the punitive academic side of things. Like, I can't address this thing that happened to me because there will be retaliation. And so you go into denial about that. And I think, you know, if we look at the history of medicine, I'm, I'm quite certain that that story is not uncommon, right? Uh, and that must be must be sought out and cut out root and stem. Problem being that if you've gotten to the point where people are in denial about a problem... It's hard to fix a problem which no one will acknowledge, right? right? So, like, denial is not just a failure state, but it is like a fucking you need to cut off the limb sort of failure state. There's like, don't, if your system has led to people being in denial, 
take the whole system, throw it in the garbage and start again. Like you need a big, big upheaval there, right? If the climate is more towards repression, I think that is where I, I would like to believe most residency programs exist. It's a little sad that I would like to believe that we're all existing in a state of repression, but better than denial. I, I will say, in the defense of residency programs, I suspect that is not a residency-specific thing. I think that also can be a reflection of like where we are as like a society. Sure. No. Yeah. Yeah. Far be it from me to be overly critical of residency, despite the fact that that might be one of the other central theses of these pro- this podcast. But, but I, 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 yes. I do want to qualify that. That is not a res- I mean, this is something that I'm sure if anyone's listening to this who is not in residency, I'm sure there are still things you're like, oh, yeah, I relate to that. So it's like, it, it is not just a residency thing, but of course that is the, the lens that which we are focusing, of course. Yeah, no, no. I, I would say uh, society as a whole exists on the spectrum of like denial to repression right now. We are not, as a society, really doing well on the suppression side of things. Yeah. It's much more like either trying not to think about your problems or actively denying that the problems even exist. And we could talk a lot more about that, but sure. let's get back to residency. Um, for for residency programs, it, it's to create an open and honest environment, I think is something that we've talked about before, right? So you're you're creating spaces where it's safe to talk about your emotions, but not mandatory to talk about your emotions, right? Yeah. The, the hard thing with repression and, and denial is that if you attempt to address somebody head on about a thing that they are not dealing with, they'll just put up a wall. Like they'll, they'll back out of that situation so fast because usually there is a reason why they are not addressing that thing so it's a bit of there's a bit of kung fu involved here because really to address it you have to find the reason why that person themselves is not addressing that thing and that certainly can be structural things right like if it's a there's the classic is just a feeling of hopelessness like uh the the issue that i have is with a person in power and that person in power is not going anywhere so this issue is not going to change right i i think that is a very difficult thing to deal with what 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 would you say to that yeah i mean i i think i'd echo a lot of the same things i think uh, creating that open environment is of course easier said than done i mean you can't you can't have the let's everyone get together and like kumbaya that doesn't really work um but I think a lot of it is, comes down to providing um, the time for people to use their support systems that they already have in place. And then I think on an individual level, just, you know, for sort of the, you know, the quote unquote, like adults, right? I mean, obviously we're all adults, but like, you know, our faculty members who have this sort of didactic role in our lives, ha- having at least some subset that you feel comfortable with and being able to develop those relationships that go beyond just uh oh like you're like my boss or like oh we are like colleagues and you're like teaching me how to be uh you know um, a doctor that go beyond that and allow you know you're able to sort of foster these relationships so that there is someone who you feel comfortable approaching in a very like casual way i think is important that is really hard to just kind of artificially create but i do think you can do some things to make that more likely to arise part of it is like a personality thing you can't be like oh you two be friends that's not a thing but um if you have enough exposures in kind of a casual environment you presumably people will sort of like find pairings based on personality that work 
Um, and I think, and, I, and I, I do think that is important to do. I think it's a little hard to do. And particularly now with COVID, it makes it a little harder because you can't casually like, oh, like, let's have these like mentor groups, like get together and like go out for a drink, you know, slightly like a relaxed away from work environment. It's obviously hard. You can't like do that the same way. But setting that aside, presumably the stuff will, will, will get closer to a, to you know, back to normal at some point. And I think those sort of things are important um, for trying to develop a support structure before before you're at the failure point, right? You can't be at the failure point and be like, oh, where's the support structure? Like you have to, <laughs> you have to develop it ahead of time. And I think, yeah, it's, it's hard. You can't like, you can't like plan specifically for it, but I think you can create environments in which it can more naturally arise. Yes. Yeah, so I, I, there's a very well put point that like at the failure point, oftentimes the problem is now sort of impervious to your attempts to fix it, right? Let's, let's if we talk about suicide a person who has determined that they are going to commit suicide usually there is a sort of settling into that where they are like oh well there's a, the peace the classic description they, they feel at peace now that they've decided that they're going to kill themselves uh and that that sort of mental state is not something where you can necessarily talk somebody out of that that person if they're at that point and they haven't already, let's say, like spoken to their program director about the way they're feeling, they're not going to be like, oh, now I should talk to them. Right, right. It's not as simple as reaching out at that point in time because they've gotten so far away yeah. from that. Uh, you know, one of my my colleagues, it, it, he actually gets very, very mad when we talk about wellness because he's like, this is this doesn't help anybody who's actually struggling with anything. Because the things that you are proposing are not things that a person who is depressed would take advantage yeah, of. Yeah, for sure. Like going out for like having fun drinks. Yeah, for sure. Right. Exactly. It's like you, you've already gotten past that point in time. So what's the answer to that? I mean, it's kind of like you have to work therapeutic structures into your own like residency program. It's like you have to be be assessing people and... And not just their their sort of radiology or urology knowledge, but like actually uh, assessing people's mental state in some meaningful way. I, so I'll say this. I, I think I probably mentioned on the podcast before. Uh, I'm a big fan of our, uh, of our program director. Um, she's great. And I remember this was at the end of last year's so end of PGY2. This is in June. And we had our end of the year sort of Zoom meeting. Or it was over Zoom because of COVID. We were just discussing like, how things have been going like how do you feel about your progress this year from like a urology standpoint just having a general conversation and she asked in a very nice way like i think she, she phrased it in a way that was like great but basically like obviously like covid is hard for a lot of reasons she's like i know that you're single you're like living by yourself etc are you okay like how, how do you feel because like covid's really isolating and particularly worse in that case and i was like no i feel fine i'm at a, i'm at a, like at a site right now i'm seeing a lot of my friends and colleagues a lot like I'm, you know it's fine but that in and of itself was a really like, I mean, it stuck with me as a thing to ask. I'm not sure I would have thought to ask that of somebody in her position. And I think it was like a really, I don't know, it, it, it meant a lot to me that she um, thought to ask it. I'm not sure she like remembers asking that specifically, but it, it really was impactful that she even thought to ask that. It really was a lot of empathy on her part. And that, that, and that matters. I mean, it matters to do that. It matters a lot. Right. And it requires a certain level of conscientiousness. It's actually interesting. It's a very, as a technique for normalizing an emotion, it's better than the sort of group kumbaya because the group kumbaya necessitates somebody else feeling the exact same thing you're feeling. Yeah. It's like, 
oh, they've explained the situation and now I feel as though I can explain my situation. But the problem is when you feel sort of emotionally isolated or when you're repressing something, you're not going to then recognize it in somebody else and feel as though that that is something you can talk about. Whereas the technique that your program director used either intentionally or unintentionally, maybe they're just a nice person and therefore that's how they think about the world or maybe they thought to do it on purpose is to describe a scenario and they say like it would be very normal if you felt this way in that scenario yeah, exactly like that's kind of yeah i i i think it's yeah, very well phrased like that's sort of she didn't do it so overtly that i was like okay but like it was that was more or less the implication right right then it is on you you are free to express that you feel that way or not express that you feel that way but one of the reasons I think it's like way better than our other techniques is that it also frees you up to feel that way a week later and feel like it's safe to tell her about it, right? Whereas in the moment, maybe, hey, maybe you just had a great lunch with one of your co-residents, you're <laughs> yeah. feeling great. So you're like, no, I feel great. And then you walk out of the room and two days later, you're like, I'm sadder than I've ever been because that's kind of how depression works. <laughs> like, yeah. You're not always 100% of the time depressed. It's just you realize it as it comes upon you that you now know, oh, I have a safe space to go talk to somebody. It's, it's as though she said, hey, I'm here for you right now. And also, I'm technically here for you in the future as well. Because I am the type of person you could talk to about how you feel, and I would acknowledge that as a reasonable way to feel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, very. Yeah, very well put. That that, that, that I think actually is the crux of it, right? Because it's not just like, a, hey, I'm checking off a box. It's like I'm genuinely just expressing a thing, and like, feel free to react to it how you will. But like, that is that door is open. Yeah. yeah. And and to bring it back to repression specifically, it's a valuable tactic because the nature of repression is that you are actively trying not to think about a thing so in the moment you will probably say no i feel fine and when you have those moments of panic of anxiety where that the feeling comes back instead of shoving it back down you might think hey my pd was really cool about this maybe i should talk to them about this Mm -hmm. because i keep feeling this way And, and so you can get somebody out of repression as a cycle as opposed to just a state it's not really a state like depression or anxiety or anything. Repression is not a not a, a single state that you exist in. It's a cycle of behaviors. Just like what I was talking about with eating. It wasn't just that I was, I am constantly eating a ton of food. There'd be times during that period of time where I was very healthy. It was that I, I, I was in a cycle of behaviors and what I needed was the green light to leave that cycle. <laughs> of behaviors yeah well it seems like once more samir we've stumbled into a sort of a good point (laughs) i don't know how it keeps happening but i'm not gonna question it (laughs) a 13 episode streak of stumbling our way to something that could help somebody maybe one day our door is always open it's true yeah and uh my door you mean uh inbox yes a mandatory wellness session at gmail.com as always, you can find us on Instagram at MWS Podcast. We have a website. Uh, we are on iTunes along with many other podcasting apps and our email I just mentioned. And of course, our theme song is Nothing Slash Anything by Westy Reflector. Thanks for listening. See you guys. Bye.